All right. Well, I, uh, I just prayed that we would be more like God in every respect, but there's a limit to that, isn't there? Uh, because the title of this lesson is, He is Unlike Us. And that's a great and glorious thing, that God is unlike us. Now, just a bit of a refresher from last time. We talked about theology and what theology is, and the difference between biblical theology and systematic theology. Uh, systematic theology is biblical. It's based on the Bible. Okay, It's not theology that's done apart from the Bible. But there's a difference in the way that we can go about studying what the Bible has to say about different topics. And what we're doing in this class is more systematic, where we're concerned with how all the topics of the Bible fit together. And so we're going through category by category. If you look at the top of page three that hopefully you have in front of you, you'll see that this is section two. So the first section was just an introduction. So this is the first real section of theology, and we're starting with the nature of God. And from there, we're going to talk about other areas of theology, major areas, the nature of man, the nature of Christ, the nature of the Holy Spirit, the nature of the Bible. We're going to talk through all of these major topics, and hopefully as we go along, you'll see how they fit together in Scripture. But today is session one of The Nature of God, and that's the, the title, He is Unlike Us. Okay. So it's our goal in this class to apply the whole of Scripture to the main themes of Scripture to better understand our faith. That's what we're up to. I shared that with you last week, so... That's where we're headed. <clears throat> Let me ask a question to start off. This ba basic, simple question. Is it possible to define God? Philosophers have stayed busy trying to answer that question, haven't they? But uh, go ahead, give me some feedback. Is it possible to define God? <laughs> no matter which direction you go, it's almost like, yeah, but, right? Start going one answer, you, you, you have reasons to kind of backtrack on that a little bit. Anybody brave enough to give some sort of a, a sentence on that? Omniscient, Okay, we can list his attributes, right, that we know about. Yeah. Okay, good. So is the answer yes? <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let me give you my answer. A comprehensive definition of God is not possible due to our various limitations. However, we may list and define the perfections or the attributes of God so far as He has revealed them to us and as far as our language is capable. So I think that's basically where we were headed as a class. We, we were saying, yeah, but, and uh, we can't define him totally, utterly, comprehensively, right? We can't measure God. If you ever think that you can measure God in any sense, well, then you've missed who God is. That's a fundamental part of who God is, is that he's immeasurable, he's immense. But he has revealed himself, hasn't he? We have to, of course, confess that as Christians, that this is the book upon which we base our faith. We believe this book has been handed down to us through the generations, starting with inspired apostles and prophets, whom God moved to write his revelation down, that we today may look into this book, a trustworthy record of what God has revealed, and discover something about God. He wants us to learn about him through his word, doesn't he? So this is a quote from Francis Schaeffer, and this is really good. 
The biblical presentation is that though we do not have exhaustive truth, we have from the Bible what I term true truth. True truth. In this way, we know true truth about God, true truth about man, and something truly about nature. Thus, on the basis of the scriptures, while we do not have exhaustive knowledge, we have true and unified knowledge. And this is something that you might want to write down somewhere in your notes. You don't have a designated spot for this. But the reality is that we can know truly, but not exhaustively. Okay? We can know truly, but not exhaustively. And this is an important distinction. We'll start with the limitation. We don't have minds capable of comprehending the Almighty because we are not equal with Him in being. We're not equal, equal in rank with God. And so we have a limited creaturely mind. Now, we are made in the image of God. We're able to understand communication. We're able to have relationship. All of that is based on the image of God. But we're not God. Okay? So we cannot have exhaustive knowledge like God does on anything. We can grow in our knowledge and learn all sorts of things. But there will always be a distinction between the creator and the creature in our knowledge. However, because God has revealed, we can know truly. Just because we can't know exhaustively, that doesn't mean, well, we don't know anything. When it comes to God, we just don't know. Throw up your hands and say, anybody could be right. It's a crapshoot. Well, that's not right either, is it? Because there is a God, and He has revealed Himself, and you can study His revelation. You can hear from Him. You're made in His image. You can perceive the language that He used to communicate. And you can know truly, but not exhaustively. And so we're limited by what God has uh, revealed to us, and we're limited by our nature. So we can know truly, but not exhaustively. Okay? And we see uh, quite clearly in Scripture, we'll turn there together, Jeremiah 10.6, that there is no one like God. This, of course, I've been talking about from the perspective of knowledge. There's no one like God in knowledge. But this is true in a variety of ways, isn't it? There is no one like God in power. There is no one like God in His presence. There is no one like God in His love. There is no one like God in His grace or His patience. You just go all the way down the line with all the attributes of God, and there is no one like God in any of those ways. And so we see this very clear statement in Jeremiah 10.6, and it's one of many that are like it. There is no one like you, or none like you, O Lord. You are great and great is your name in might. I like the way that that's phrased. And that's a, a pretty simple verse you could memorize. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name in might. And so we recognize this, again, this basic distinction between God and his creation. So as we go to define God, and that's a question that's been asked throughout all generations who is God? What is God? How are we to define God? We can turn to some definitions that have been provided for us in different Christian communities down through the centuries. This is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is God? Well, God is spirit. God is infinite, eternal. He's unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. 
I think that's pretty good. That's a pretty good definition. At least gets you started, right? Uh, two sentences, or well, I guess that's just one sentence, to get you started. Okay, but I tend to like a little bit better the a newer catechism, the New City Catechism. It says, God is the creator. That's where it starts. I think that's really important. God is the creator of, and sustainer of everyone and everything. He's eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. That's a good definition. A little fuller, okay? And really, when it comes to saying, answering the question, what is God? How many pages do you need? How many words do you need? It's uh, a lot, right? As many as the Bible, right? At least. And so... Uh, what is God? Well, uh, God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. And that's the first big idea today. Uh, the most fundamental reality. Now I'm in your notes. Uh, the first blank on your notes. The most fundamental reality about God is that he is the creator. And we are creatures. Okay? God created all things that exist. And he was created by no one. Very, very important beginning step when defining God. The most fundamental reality about God is that He is the Creator. And of course, by contrast, we are creatures. Okay? And I've got some verses there that we can look into. So let's do that. Genesis 1.1, you might have that one memorized, but I doubt you have Psalm 89 verses 11 and 12 memorized. So this is an opportunity to learn what that has to say. Genesis 1-1 is where we'll go first, then Psalm 89, verses 11 and 12. Psalm 96, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 45, verses 18 to 22. And John 1, 1 through 3. Those are the verses that we have before us. Talking about God as creator. God is creator. Okay. Give you a minute to write those down. Genesis 1-1. Psalm 89, 11 to 12. Psalm 96, 4 and 5. That's a really key passage. Isaiah 45, 18 to 22. And John 1, 1 to 3. Can someone rattle off Genesis 1, 1 off the top of your head? Someone got that one? Very good. Yeah. The Bible starts there. You think that's interesting? I find that interesting. The Bible, of course, could start anywhere. Uh, God could have could have had the Bible start with any verse he wanted, any statement he wanted, any truth, any reality that he wanted. But he began with, God is creator. In the beginning, God. He started with the presupposition there, didn't he? God was already there. He didn't start by saying, hmm, who created God? He didn't start with, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? We'll get to that question later in this class. Uh, he didn't start any of those places. He started with, in the beginning, there's God. There's your reality, creature. You're a creature. Your reality is that there's a creator. He created the heavens and the earth. Really important just to recognize that's a, a fundamental passage for the Christian. But let's look at Psalm 89, verses 11 and 12. Psalm 89, and two verses here, 11 and 12. Would someone like to read those for us? Right. Okay, go ahead. The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon uh, sing for joy at your name. All right. So not only 
are the heavens gods. You know, some people can think that, you know, God is tucked away in the clouds somewhere. That's the cartoon picture of heaven, right? God's tucked away in the clouds, and he's up there minding his own business. Nope, it expands farther than that. The world and all it contains, verse 11, belongs to God. He has created them. He has founded them. And then it goes, even like a step further, he created the north and the south. The concept of north, south, east, west. That comes from God. Concepts of time and space all comes from God. He's not limited by these things. God God doesn't get turned around. God doesn't use a compass. Those are creaturely limitations that he's placed in the world, and that all belongs to him. It all originates in him. And so this is God's world. You're just living in it, right? You're just living in God's world here by his kindness. Psalm 96 gets to the same idea too. Psalm 96 verses 4 and 5. And here we have a distinction between the one true God and all other gods. Let's see if we can find what that distinction is. Someone want to read verses 4 and 5 for us? You got it. Okay. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. According to verse 5, what is the distinction between Yahweh and false gods of the peoples? There you go. There's only one creator. And where did those false gods come from? The people. They created their gods. You see the, see the difference here? So you've got you know, a fundamental reality here where we've got creator and he makes his creatures. This is the one true God. That's the relationship that the one true God has with the world. But the false gods, what do you have? Creatures. And they made their little false gods. You can't even call their false gods creator because they're not creating anything. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have ears, but they don't hear. They have throats, but they they can't grunt. False gods are just the work of man's hands. So that's the big distinction between what is true how do you know the one true God and how do you know false gods? Well, one God made everything. And all the other gods are creatures themselves. They've been created by men. And so that distinction, of course, is vital whenever you're talking to anybody who believes that, that God came from somewhere. Because we know that the one true God, he didn't come from somewhere. In the beginning, God. He's always been there. He is from everlasting to everlasting, Scripture says. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. God has no beginning. He has no end. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the first and the last. All these descriptive language, uh, terms used in our language to say that God had no beginning. He wasn't created by anyone or anything. And then Isaiah 45, we'll turn there next. Isaiah 45, verses 18 to 22. Five verses this time. And let's see the testimony here from the prophet Isaiah about the nature of God as creator. Isaiah 45, verse 18 through 22. Who's got it? Thank you, Jordan. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not seem to deceive Jacob, 
Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge. Who carry the wood of, the carved, of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth their case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Let them bear this from ancient time. Who has told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Right. That's a pretty strong testimony there about the nature of God, isn't it? We see this amplified more there. The people carry around their carved idol that they made. Now, how foolish is that to take a piece of wood and whittle it down and say, this is God. But that's what every false god is, whether they're carving it out of wood or carving it out of their own imagination. They're creating a god who cannot save. Did you notice that in verse 20? They pray to a god who cannot save. Any God who is less than the Creator is unable to save. If your God is a creature like everyone else, that God's no good. It can't do anything to help you. It's in the same boat you're in. See the problem there? But if God is the Creator of everyone and everything, and we have this fundamental distinction in our being, He has always existed and He's made everything, we can appeal to Him and we can get some help then, right? We can appeal to him and we can be saved. That's, I mean, he's not in the boat with us. He made the boat. He made the waves. And he has an outstretched arm that, that can't be shortened. And he'll reach out and he'll save. And John 1, 1 to 3, this now ties it in with the person and work of Christ. I'm sure you're familiar with how John's gospel starts. Very similar to the beginning of Genesis. And we'll talk more about how, what the implications are of how this applies to Christ later on down the road. But would someone read the first three verses of John's Gospel? John 1, 1 to 3. Katrina, go ahead. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. All right. Um, that's a pretty strong statement again, isn't it? All things. So when you read that, it should, you should read most, right? <laughs> that's what some people will attempt to do. Most things came into being through him. But that's not what John's saying. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And we can say this because God has not come into being. He has, there's never been a time where God came into existence in any sense. But God always has been, always will be. Everything else is a part of creation. Everything else. There's nothing else you can point, point to in all of existence and say, this is co-eternal with God. Not one thing. God is the only one who was in the beginning, and all things came into being through him. And this leads us to another fundamental point. This creation was ex nihilo. Who knows what ex nihilo means? Out of nothing. Good. We know a little bit of Latin just because of theological terms, right? Ex nihilo. Out of nothing. God created all things ex nihilo, or out of nothing. There were no pre-existing materials that God used to create. 
And of course, this is a natural conclusion from Scripture. It's also stated explicitly in a couple of places. But it's a natural conclusion because if nothing is equal with God, not one molecule is equal in its existence with God, that means that everything that came into being through Him, which is all things, well, it all was created in an instant. It came into existence. Each individual atom came into existence at a certain point in time. God didn't look around and say, okay, what do I got? What do I got? He didn't inherit matter from somewhere else. He didn't just find it lying around and say, what can I do with this to arrange it the way I like it? That's not how God created. But instead, God spoke all things into existence. Genesis 1 clearly lays out God speaking into existence. Seven times in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke something into existence, it says. And Hebrews 11.3 precludes any pre-existing matter or energy. I'll read that for you. Hebrews 11.3. And I can't remember if I added it to my uh, slideshow here or not, but you can also jot down Revelation 4.11. And I'll read that for you if it's not going to come up on the slides. But Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. That's a very interesting statement. The things that are seen were not made out of things which are visible. It says that we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. So as you, you look at things with a telescope and you... You know, now we're really advanced. We can go way out into space and see things. None of that was made with, with other things that we can see. As we look in the microscope and we look deep down into things, and we can go really deep these days, and we can study protons and neutrons and electrons. How amazing is that? None of it came into being through other things that we can see. But we recognize that God created all things. And you can't see God and live, can you? The things that are visible were made from that which is invisible. Psalm 33, 6 through 9 and Revelation 4.11, there it is, reveals that God caused material to exist in his creating of the world. Would someone grab Psalm 33, 6 to 9? Who can get that for us? Psalm 33, 6 to 9. Any takers? I know most of you know how to read. <laughs> Psalm 33, 6 to 9. Thank you, Mandy. And then Revelation 4.11, a great memory verse. Revelation 4.11, someone want to read that for us? Thank you, Dax. Way to be brave. All right. As we hear these verses, listen for this reality. God causing material to exist. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm kind of hammering this point hard here because you know that in our conversations with Latter-day Saints, this is a sticking point, isn't it? They believe that matter is eternal with God and that God used pre-existing materials and he formed the worlds out of what he was given. Whereas we're saying, Scripture says, no, God has always existed and that matter came into existence through his speaking it into existence. That's a big distinction because it goes right into this. It goes right into this conversation. Okay, So let's listen for that in Psalm 33, 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. 
He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. All right. What you'll find when you have conversations with people who disagree with you on basically any major Christian doctrine, a good question to ask them, if you go to this passage and you're talking to a Latter-day Saint about ex nihilo creation, and you say, look, it says right here, for he spoke and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast, it came to be through, it says in verse 6, the breath of his mouth, through the word of the Lord, you can ask that person the question, how else could God say this to communicate the idea, right? In what other way could God communicate this? What would you expect to hear? Um, this is, to me, pretty plain and direct speech that all things came into existence through God's speaking. And another powerful one is in Revelation 4.11. Go ahead, Dex. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. All right. Now, I think this one is extremely powerful, because look at the uh, distinction that's made between existing and creating. A lot of times when you talk to someone who denies ex nihilo creation, they'll say, well, every time it says that things were created by God, all it's saying is that things were organized by God. He was just re rearranging the molecules the way he liked them. Well, look at what Revelation 4.11 says, where it says, um, Worthy are you to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Not, not only were they formed by his will, but they existed before they were formed by his will. The existence of every single molecule depends on the will of God. I again, I don't know how else it could be said to make it clearer that all things were created out of nothing by God, the only eternal one. This doctrine is vitally important because it shows the necessity of God in all things. Nothing exists apart from God's will and work. If things exist apart from God's will, well, he's not necessary in those areas, is he? You don't have to bring the reality of God to bear on that. But if all things are totally dependent on God's will, if it's true that all things hold together, Colossians 1, by the power of God, in that, in that case particularly God the Son, well, then that reality has to be brought to bear on everything. There's accountability now in every area of life. Okay? So it's a very, very important doctrine. Okay. Um, attributes of God. Before we get into uh, the more classic attributes that you're probably used to hearing about. Um, we need to distinguish between incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. We know about things like communicable diseases. What's a communicable disease? Someone tell me what that is. Say it again. Who said that? Okay, very good. It can be passed on and shared, right? So usually when we talk about communicable in that way, it means bad thing. It's a bad thing. <laughs> well, when it comes to the attributes of God, the communicability of those attributes are good. Uh, to be able to receive something from God that you can then emulate, that you can, uh, you can what's the right word, shadow or, or however you want to articulate that, that's good. But there are some attributes that we can't uh, replicate. 
So there are two types of attributes. First, they're incommunicable. And those are the attributes that God, as creator, does not share with another. Attributes that God does not share with another being. And that's what we're going to cover first in our conversation. So they're attributes that God alone possesses. And then there are these communicable attributes that God allows those made in his image to replicate to some degree. Okay? So this is a pretty important distinction. (laughs) You don't want to blur this line too much. Uh, Attributes that God alone has that we will, will not ever have. And then there are attributes that... Uh, God has allowed those made in his image to replicate to a certain degree. A great way to start thinking about this is with time. Uh, There's a hymn that that goes, uh, I think it's when the roll is called up yonder. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. Well, that's actually not true. We will always be limited by time as God's creatures. If you go to the end of the Bible and you look at the new heaven and new earth, do you know that it still talks about months? It's pretty interesting. The fruit of the tree of life, that that fruit changes month by month. You ever read about that? That's pretty interesting. And so there's time still applied to creatures. Uh, When you think about God's knowledge, will there ever come a time that you will match God in his knowledge? Well, absolutely not. That distinction is still going to remain between the creator and the creatures. Now, will it be a different relationship? Will we have, of course, more knowledge and more experience and all that? Yeah. Will our relationship with time be different? Yes, it certainly will. But will we still be limited? Yes. We will still be limited as creatures. And that's what keeps these uh, attributes separated, is that one is a reflection of our uh, limitations, that God has these attributes that are incommunicable, and the other is a reflection that we're made in his image, that he allows us to replicate these to some degree. Okay? As finite beings, humans will not share, even in the communicable attributes of God, to the same extent that God has those attributes. For example, God is love. Humans can love, but we do so imperfectly. Amen? (laughs) God is also just. Humans have a sense of justice and can carry out justice, but again, do so imperfectly. God is creator. Humans are creative, but we cannot create ex nihilo as God has. Right? So we, we recognize that even though we are reflecting who God is by living out some of these attributes, it's always just to a degree. It's never all the way. So God has these incommunicable attributes that he alone possesses. He does not share with another. And these are the ones we're going to walk through. You don't have to jot these down. They're already on your sheet for you. We're going to walk through these over the next couple of weeks. God's transcendence, his eternality, the omnis, omnipotent, well, omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, and that he's immutable. Okay? So let's start by talking about transcendence. You got that on your sheet there? Transcendence. When we talk about this, we are saying that God is independent of and sovereign over all time, space, and matter. He is independent of and sovereign over all time, space, and matter. He is completely free of limitations. And uh, that is just an existence that we have a hard time comprehending because we are limited at every turn. We are so, so limited. We are limited by our bodies. We're limited by our body's abilities. 
Some of you maybe are feeling that more than others. I was just talking to Joe about a doctor appointment she has tomorrow. You're a limited being, aren't you, Joe? Yes. <laughs> uh, we are just so limited in every way, but not so with God. He transcends time, space, and matter. And how terrible would this be if he also had our sin nature? Can you imagine a God with a sin nature who was unlimited? Wow. The things that you've desired to do in sin, if you weren't limited, how bad could you have been? You could have been real bad, right? You could have been real malicious, real evil. Really, really bad. Yeah, true. Yep, yep. The false gods of, uh, of man's mind, yeah, you see it in pretty much every false religion. But yeah, she, Mandy was just mentioning Greek and Roman mythology. And how those gods interact with one another and interact with people and how conniving and wicked they are. Yep, that would be bad. That would be real bad. God's essence, which is infinite, transcends that of his creation finite. That's what we mean when we say transcendence. It's just an outflow of that creator and creation distinction. And here are some verses for you. In the next session, I... Uh, I think I, I put the verses down on the sheet for you so you don't have to write down all the references. But for this lesson, you have to write down your references. Exodus 3.14, Psalm 90, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 135, verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. I love that passage. And Ephesians, the last one is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. Okay, so these are the passages we'll look at and we'll just walk through them together. Starting in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And this is a famous verse that I'm sure you know, but you might not know the reference. Exodus 3, 14. This is Moses at the burning bush. And here's a, here's a pop quiz for you. Who was speaking to Moses out of the burning bush according to the text? <laughs> Which text have you been reading? <laughs> well, according to the text, what does it say? Yeah, but who does he... It says in the narrative that blank spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'll see, it's in... Um, uh, where am I trying to get you to look? Right, now I can't find it. It's in... Um, oh my goodness, why am I not seeing it in here? Oh, verse 2. There's at the beginning. What does it say in verse 2? The angel of the Lord. Now that's an interesting term uh, that we'll trace through Scripture a little bit when we get to Christology, because I do believe that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But isn't that interesting? It, I think it's often forgotten. Verse 2, the angel of the Lord is appearing to Moses in a blaze of fire. That's pretty interesting. Okay. Well, let's look at verse uh, 13. Moses says to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they will say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God replies... I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me 
to you. Now, he could have picked any term he wanted, right? He's God. Could have picked anything. But what is this name, I am, communicating about God? Why, why would he pick this? What is this communicating to the sons of Israel? Yeah, eternality. Boundlessness. Isn't it interesting that it's the present tense be verb? You know, we've got uh, am, I am doing this, or I was, or I am going to, or I will. Future tense. But here, he uses the present tense, I am. There's never been a time that God wasn't. He's the eternal I am, the constant I am, always with his people, always present, watching what's happening among his creatures. God is the I am. In this very basic name, three letters in English, I am, God is showing his transcendence, isn't he? He's, he's not the, I will become what I will become. Have any of you ever interacted with Jehovah's Witnesses? The New, uh, New World Translation, they changed that. And it said, instead of saying, I am, it says, I will become what I will become. Yeah. And in, in John 1, 1, where we were earlier, instead of saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, they changed it to say, and the Word was a God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. One little English letter makes a big difference, doesn't it? Very big difference. Okay, Psalm 90, verses 1 through 4. Someone want to get that one for us? Psalm 90, 1 to 4. Any takers? I got it. Okay, Mandy will get this one, and then Jen, was that you? You'll get the next one. How about that? Okay, go ahead, Mandy. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth. Forever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Do you see here a unique relationship to time that God has? He does not have a creaturely relationship with time at all. He's from everlasting to everlasting, verse 2. And a thousand years in God's sight are like yesterday when it passes by. That's a very unique relationship to time that we can't connect with on a creaturely level at all. I've debated an open theist in the past. And open theism is the doctrine, a false doctrine, that states that God doesn't know the future because the future doesn't exist. And they teach, they would never phrase it this way, but I phrased it this way in the debate... They teach that God has a creaturely relationship to time. Because that's our relationship, isn't it? We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. We can have you know, a good idea, but we have zero certainty. You think God has certainty about the future if a thousand days pass by like yesterday? You better believe it. He's outside of time. He's over time. He created time. Psalm 135, verses 5 and 6. Go ahead, Jen. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Okay. He is not constrained by anything. And again, uh, taking in our knowledge from Psalm 95, what is the difference between the Lord, the great Yahweh in verse 5, and all the other lowercase g gods? Well, he's the creator, and they are the creation of man's hands. That's the difference. 
And as creator, he does whatever he pleases in heaven and in earth, in the seas, in all the deeps. He's not confined. He doesn't have to get his scuba diving gear and his scuba license to do whatever he wills in the deeps. He doesn't have to get his aviation license to do whatever he wills in the heavens. God does whatever he pleases because he is not limited in any sense. Jeremiah 23, 23 to 24, I'll read that one, one of my favorite passages that talks about God's immensity, not limited by anything. Jeremiah 23, starting at verse 23, am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? You see, the, the concept of a, uh, of a vacation is a creaturely concept because we have to go someplace, maybe a place we've never been to before. But God doesn't take vacations in that he fills heaven and earth all the time, doesn't he? There's no place that anyone on earth can go to hide from God. You think that's a unique relationship with space? Yeah, you better believe it. There's no astronaut that can shoot way out there in the universe and go somewhere where he can hide from God or, or God will lose track of him. God's already there. Every step along the way, God is there. God fills heaven and earth. He transcends all limitations with space. And then... Ephesians 4, verse 6. Just the one verse. Ephesians 4, 6. Someone got that for us? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. Go ahead, Katrina. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. All right. So we have uh, this type of uh, phrasing in various places in the Bible. There is one God who is over and through all things. Over and through And he is all in all. That's pretty comprehensive language, isn't it? He's not not leaving room for you to find one place where there's an exception. He's using this word all. Okay? And, And what other word could he use to say that God transcends all things? The creation cannot continue to exist without God's continued preservation and concurrent providence in the smallest details of nature and history. But he can exist in all his perfections without the world. The the creation doesn't exist without God. Utterly dependent. Again, every molecule, utterly dependent on God. But God, he's utterly dependent on no one. He transcends all of creation. He, He transcends all that we've come to know as a limitation. An attribute under the heading of God transcendence is his, his aseity. You see that on your sheet? Aseity is kind of a funny word. Aseity is, I think, the proper way to say it, but I'm from the Midwest. Uh, the, the lower Midwest, in fact, close to Arkansas, which, you know, that can really be dangerous. His aseity. This word means that he is self-existent and self-contained. So the answer to who created God is no one. God is transcendent. He is the independent creator of all things. This is a question that you'll get from time to time. A lot of times you'll get it from uh, children. It's a very natural question. Who created God? Uh, that, that is just a, a simple elementary question that you have to get right in order to understand the Bible. If you get that question wrong, 
every verse of the Bible, you're just going to have a different interpretation than a Christian. But Christians answer, who created God with no one? Because God is transcendent, that is, by definition, uh, there, there's no one who created him. No one came before him. If he was brought into existence, he would have limitations as we do. So the fact that he is creator of all things means he's transcendent. The fact that he's transcendent means he's creator of all things. These two realities feed into one another in that sense. So <clears throat> it's a good word, Zeity. God is self-existent, self-contained. All right? There is no one outside and over God in any sense. Okay, a little more and then we'll pause for some questions. A quote from... W.G.T. Shedd, three initials before his last name, that's pretty cool. The self-existence of God denotes that the ground of his being is in himself. In the reference, it is sometimes said that God is his own cause, but this is objectionable language. God is the uncaused being, and in this respect, differs from all other beings. And so, you never want to say, when answering this basic question of God's existence, you never want to say that God is his own cause. Okay? That, that is just not the way the Bible presents it. Instead, you want to say God had no cause. He had no beginning. That, that is what makes the creator different than all of creation. God had no cause, no beginning. He is utterly uncaused, an absolutely unique state of being that no creature has. Van Til said, God is in no sense correlative to or dependent upon anything besides his own being. I like that quote. He is in no sense correlative to or dependent upon anything besides his own being. Wow. And again, we have a hard time grasping that because we are correlative to and dependent upon all sorts of things all day, every day, from the moment we're born. And be well, before we're born. Right? We are totally, absolutely, utterly dependent. And God used all, those, used all those same adjectives to lead up to independent. He's totally, utterly, absolutely independent. Okay? Thoughts or questions on God as creator and God as transcendent? Hopefully it all makes sense to you and you agree with it. <laughs> but any questions, now would be a great time to ask. Got about seven minutes left of class here. What was God doing in the everlasting before creation? Oh, good. That's a good question. Dax is thinking deeply this morning. Good job. <laughs> Turn with me to John 17, Gospel of John, chapter 17. This gives us a little peek behind the curtain, though we don't get much of a peek. Someone want to read verses 1 to 5? John chapter 17, 1 to 5. Who can get that for us? Jordan, go ahead. Thanks. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true of God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have worshipped the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I have in 
All right. So that very last phrase in verse 5 gives us a bit of a, a peek as to what God was doing before the world was. We could say, quite simply, that Jesus, the Son of God, and the Father, God the Father, were sharing in the same glory before the world was. Now, we're going to talk more about this in two or three weeks when we talk about God's love. One of God's communicable attributes is love. It's a fundamental reality of his love that he did not begin loving at creation. God has eternally expressed his love. And if you're someone who doesn't recognize the distinction between Father, Son, and Spirit, you'll say, well, how, how could that be? God was alone before the world was created. How could God have been loving anybody or anything before all of creation? Well, that's because God is not just one person. God is three persons. And here we see two persons, verse 5, Father and Son, Jesus prays, Father, glorify me. This is a distinction. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had, past tense, I had with you before the world was. And so Father, Son, Spirit, sharing in glory together and loving community together eternally. Now, do we get much more of a peak than this? No. <laughs> we, we don't. I mean, there are a few other uh, places we could go to say, okay, this tells us a little bit about what was going on before creation, etc. But not much. We just don't have much. But we need to recognize that because God is three persons, not one person, it's not like God was just sitting there in vast emptiness and darkness, twiddling his thumbs. <laughs> like he's in his mom's basement, you know. <laughs> Oh, I'll create something, you know. Uh, that, that's, that's not how that worked. God was in community, in fellowship for all eternity. Which further goes to show God didn't need us in any way, did he? He didn't need us to get fellowship. He didn't need us to express love or to receive worship, to receive love, to receive praise, to receive honor. He didn't need us for those things. He's utterly independent. Other questions or thoughts? April. Wasn't the angels created before we were? Yes. Yep. Angels existed before us, but only by a matter of hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hours, really? Yeah. So um, if you look at uh, the creation week in Genesis, you're not going to get uh, you're not going to get angels in there as to what day they were created. <clears throat> But we recognize that the creation week in Genesis 1 is comprehensive. I mean, it's from light until humanity. And there are six days there. Okay? And if you go to a Psalm, what is it, 150? It's, in, it's near the end of the Psalms. You get this order of the way God created things. Let's see. I don't know if it's 150 or if it's in the 140s. Yeah, it's actually 148, it looks like. Psalm 148. But you see this, uh, this list of items. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. 
Praise him highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. That's another great verse, isn't it, about God's creation. He also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. And then he goes through and lists more creation, verses 7 and on. Sea monsters, fire, hail, snow, clouds, stormy wind, mountains, hills, beasts, cattle, creeping things, kings of the earth, princes, judges, young men and virgins, old men and children, on and on it goes. And so we see, of course, the angels, they're listed with all creation. Some people will sometimes, I think subconsciously, put angels in a category of their uncreated deities that exist alongside God, which just isn't the case. It's not like God has existed from all eternity and all these junior gods that we call angels. They're also eternal. That's not how that works. Um, Angels were created, and I think here it it puts them in the creation week with everything else. But you you can't be incredibly dogmatic on the exact timing of that. Walker. So within a couple of days of the angels being made, Satan Yes, yeah, so that's another thing we don't know. Um, sometime between Genesis 1 and 3, Satan fell. <laughs> that's about as specific as we can get. Um, how long did it take Adam to sin after Adam and Eve were created? How long until they fell? You ever, you ever wondered about that? Yeah, always. Do you think they made it a day? <laughs> that might be a little generous. I don't know. But along comes the serpent of old, the great serpent of old, Revelation says, the devil himself, Satan. And so that uh, was Satan there in the garden. He fell sometime before that. I mean, I, I don't know. We just don't know the timeline uh, specifically. But, you know. <laughs> That's a great question to ask when you get to heaven. How long from Adam being created till they sinned? So I have all kinds of questions like that. I wonder if God will let me take a list to heaven. <laughs> I'll get up there. Oh, I have like five more questions. I can't remember. <laughs> I have eternity to remember, so it'll be all right. <clears throat> Any other thoughts or questions on God as creator? Okay. Very good. Well, I'll pray for us again, and then you can go get a refill on that coffee if you need to, huh? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again for this day and our time together. We ask that you would help us to continue to exalt you in our minds as we look at the world around us and see creation the work of your hands, that we would remember this distinction between you and us, that you have created all things and you have a unique relationship with with all of time and space and matter. And that is why we praise you. That is why we honor you. That is why we rely on you to save us because you are the good and awesome creator who didn't leave us to death, didn't leave us in our sin, but God, you've redeemed us in Christ, and we look to you and appeal to you for our salvation because you are mighty to save. Lord, we love you and thank you. Ask your blessing on the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.